Today on Raffi Reviews, Raffi Reviews, Doctor Strange. So, Doctor Strange, the newest Marvel film to hit the theaters. Um, I was really excited when this film came out. Uh, it's the newest... I guess, introduction of a character since, like, Ant-Man. Um, obviously, I think, like many other people, I had high expectations because of Civil War. And whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, we'll get into. Uh, but as far as how I'm going to go about reviewing this, I'm going to go by it by uh, characters, the plot, uh, the effects work, because I, I definitely want to talk about the effects, uh, the impact on, you know, what it means for the rest of the Marvel Universe, and finally, we'll, we'll finish up with my final scoring of the film. Okay, so starting with Benedict Cumberbatch as Doctor Strange. Uh, he was good. I, I liked Benedict Cumberbatch as, uh, as Doctor Strange. In my experience, I haven't read a lot of Doctor Strange on his own. Uh, most of what I know about the character came from Brian Michael Bendis' run on New Avengers. And I really like that version of Doctor Strange where he's kind of uh, more of a mentor figure. It's it's very clear he's not a young buck of a hero. Um, but in this movie, Benedict, his Doctor Strange is very muted in some sense. In the comics, it's kind of a big deal that Doctor Strange, before becoming a sorcerer, is this uh, neurosurgeon, uh, and he's very arrogant about it. Uh, kind of like Tony Stark. In fact, I would say... <laughs> I would say Doctor Strange as a character did the whole arrogant thing before Tony Stark made it popular in the films. But um, in the movie, it, there's not too much of that, to be honest. There, there's a lot of characters saying Doctor Strange is, is arrogant and selfish, but in the very first couple of scenes with him uh, on screen, we see that he's pretty selfless. He goes to help a patient without even asking if they can afford... Uh, him, basically. <laughs> in the comics, he has this concept that his hands save lives, and that if you can't afford his masterful work, he won't operate on you. And so it's it's about ego for him. Uh, but they don't really do that in this movie. Again, there's a lot of characters saying, oh, you're arrogant, or oh, it's all about you, or oh, you think you're the center of the, te of, uh, of the universe. And I'll admit, there are some points where that seems to be the case. There are parts in there where Cumberbatch as Strange, gives off those personality cues of thinking it is about him uh, when it's not. But uh, I, I appreciate that he's clearly a grown character, too. Uh, not just in the sense that he has, like, whites uh, on the side of his hair, but he just seems to be... He has a youthful humor, and that's probably the only thing youthful about his personality. You know, he's a grown man... He knows his place in the world, and he kind of wants to hold on to that as much as he can. Um, I know a lot of people, and I'm, I'm going to be saying this a lot, but some of the complaints I've heard are that when he becomes, well not becomes, but when he starts becoming a sorcerer, he picks up on how to do things a little too quickly. Um, I, I didn't really feel that. I thought that his learning curve was understandable. Uh, by the time he starts learning how to do magic he's still not learning the 
big stuff. He's not shifting the entire world around him. He's just learning to kind of teleport. Um, and I think that was fine. I think that because the movie, ironically, lacked um, a sense of time passing, that might uh, have affected his learning and how it, it felt for the general audience. I really appreciate that by the end of the film, uh, Doctor Strange isn't a Sorcerer Supreme. He's not ready to use the Eye of Agamotto. It's like, throughout the film, he's still developing as that character. And by the end, he's still not the Doctor Strange we know from the books. And I kind of like that, in a, in a way. Um, you know, with a lot of films, I'm trying to think of a good example, maybe like Batman Begins or something. Um, in a lot of superhero movies, there's this thing of, by the end of the film, the character has their costume, their personality, they know their powers... Kind of like like the first Spider-Man movie by Sam Raimi. A lot of that was, by the end, he's got a costume. He's this character. He can do these things. It's like... that. That's really kind of a problem in some films because when you do sequels and, and third installments in films, especially superhero movies, there's a pressure to introduce something new. Usually, they introduce a new villain. And that sometimes tests the character's morals. But with this, you leave potential open for... Sorry, I <laughs> I didn't put that on mute. But you, but you leave the potential of uh, expanding on the character in following films and, and showing a progression in what they can do. Uh, kind of like the Star Wars movies, because in the first Star Wars movie, uh, Luke Skywalker wasn't capable of the things he was capable in the final Star Wars movie, uh, if that makes any sense. So yeah, I, I think with... Cumberbatch as Doctor Strange, the character was appealing enough for me. Uh, but something something else you're gonna hear a lot in this is, I liked what was there, but there was definitely room for more uh, with the character, uh, especially with the arrogance. Um, I will say, there is something regarding uh, his hands in this film that kind of brings up an issue with me. But I'll talk about that when we get to the plot. Uh, a few side notes, uh, the cloak of levitation that he has, uh, which is the cape he wears, it allows him to fly, um, I know it's sentient in the comics, here it has a level of sentience that's very comedic, there's a part where Dark Strange is crying in a mirror, and he pops the collar of the cloak up, because he's prepared to kick some butt, and then the cloak wipes off <laughs> his tears, and he's telling it to stop, and it's funny, it's kind of like, uh, it's kind of like his version of Groot, if I had to compare it to any kind of character. Um, expect pop figures of just the cloak. But um, I also want to say that the Eye of Agamotto in this movie, I think, is used to a very good effect. Uh, because it is the time gem of the Infinity Gems. So, if you're following these Marvel movies and keeping up with the Infinity Gems, this is where the time gem is. And I think it's a good place for it to be. Someone had to get the time gem item. I was really worried they were going to use the time gem for an actual time travel movie, and I'm happy they didn't, because those movies get clustered really quick. But, um, I enjoyed it. It is connected to one of my favorite scenes in the movie. Again, we'll get to it. But for now, I I like Benedict as, Do as Doctor Strange. There's a lot of room to grow, and uh, I enjoy seeing his character develop. So, next, uh, we'll talk about Shivatel Ijafor as Carl Mordo. Uh, sorry if I pronounced his, his name wrong. Uh, Chiwetel Ejiofor as Carl Mordo. You know, <laughs> I 
I've always known about um, Baron Mordo from the comics as like the villain of Doctor Strange or whatever. Um, I never knew his first name was Carl. That really takes the appeal away from him. Because Mordo by itself sounds like some kind of sorcerer name. It, 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 it works. Uh, <laughs> but Carl Mordo really doesn't gel well. Um, I gotta say, uh, it's kind of refreshing to see... I guess a, a, a 2B villain who comes from the roots that this version of Mordo comes from. What I mean by that is in this film, Mordo st starts off as an ally to Doctor Strange. He's another student of the Ancient One. And uh, basically, he turns against the Ancient One because the Ancient One and Doctor Strange go against their own established rules. Like, as a sorcerer, you can't use magic that, I guess, affects the world physically, if it, if it makes any sense. Anytime they shape the world around them, they're doing it in another dimension. So it doesn't affect the world prior. But when you start using magic to affect the world prior and change things like time and space, uh, that's apparently a no-no in their sorcerer school. So when his teacher and his fellow students start doing that, doing that Mordo takes offense to it. And... Uh, I kind of I kind of like that a character becomes a villain because they're the only ones who want to protect uh, a rule. It's kind of like environmentalist villains, but uh, I don't know. He was I enjoyed seeing him bounce off Doctor Strange, but I think with Mordo, it was another uh, another version of them lacking some things like Mordo and this other character named Caecilius, who I'll talk about soon. It feels like they really could have been one character and had a better effect as one character. Because in the books, Mordo, he starts off as a student of the Ancient One, but he gets jealous of the Ancient One, wants his power, and so he kills the Ancient One, uh, but the Ancient One gives his power to Doctor Strange, and Doctor Strange and Mordo become enemies. And I feel like in this film, if you had Mordo be an ally, and at the last second you show that hey, actually, it was Mordo pulling the strings. You know, he's the one that gave Caecilius access to this book with the forbidden magic in it. And it's really been him orchestrating the events, and he's been doing it. He's been using Dormammu, this other character we'll talk about soon. He's been doing all this to distract the Ancient One, so Mordo could kill the Ancient One and get her power, and it, it would have been... It would have really affected, is what I mean. He could have been a lot more of an effective character if you had that betrayal angle uh, from the beginning, I think, without spoiling it, I guess. Um, but yeah, there, there's not much I can say about Mordo. Uh, similarly, there's not much I can say about Christine Palmer, played by Rachel McAdams. So she's a love interest, <laughs> I guess. Um, she's supposed to be this nurse that works with Doctor Strange, and I guess they had a prior relationship that didn't end well, but they're still buddies. Um, to the point where she mentions she doesn't date co-workers because she calls it the strange policy. Um, it's another case of, like, similar to when I said Doctor Strange is more said to be arrogant than he actually acts arrogant. This is the same thing, because Christine is supposedly in love with Doctor Strange, and they've had good times together, but that's all we hear. 
we hear that they had a prior relationship, but we don't really see them interact like two lovers would. So it, it doesn't convince me of anything. You can tell me over and over again, yet yeah, these two people used to date, uh, but unless I see it, unless I, I see some indication of it, I can't really attach to it. Um, but like I feel in this story, she's not really meant to be uh, the character you expect Doctor Strange to go back to. It's I appreciate that she's not a damsel in the film. I appreciate that in the moment when she and Doctor Strange, when he's a sorcerer, they have a chance to get back together and they don't. And uh, I appreciate that that hesitance. Okay, so Mads Mikkelsen as Kaecilius. Um, oh, I forgot to talk about Wong Lutein after. Uh, Kaecilius is the villain of the film uh, based off a, I think, a villain that only appeared in, like, one issue in, in Doctor Strange. Um, so, okay. He's a villain that seemingly has good intentions. And that's, again, pretty refreshing. His goal in this film is to destroy these three magic, I guess, pillars, you can call them. They're called, um... Oh, God, what do they call them? They call them sanctums. And basically, there are these three buildings that, if they're destroyed, um, this multidimensional god named Dormammu can envelop our world with his dimension, which is called the Dark Dimension. And Caecilius knows from this book that he stole that in the Dark Dimension there is no time, which means if our reality is inside the Dark Dimension, there's no time and no one will die from age, and no one will change, and everyone will be safe. Uh, and basically he's doing this because, as we were told, Caecilius apparently lost, in quotations, everything. Uh, and so he came to the Ancient One seeking peace when all he did was find an answer to fix whatever happened to him. And uh, it, again, it, it's getting really irritating, but it's another thing of like, okay, we're told this guy lost everything, and that's why his motives are to encapsulate the earth to never move forward and to always be stuck in one time period that would be a good motivation if we knew more about this guy we're told he lost everything but like the opening scene of the movie is caecilius and his followers going into the library at uh the the temple where all the magic stuff happens and like cutting off this librarian's head and taking a book if the opening scene was like him like, losing his family or something, and that's why he becomes a bad guy and goes after uh, Dormammu and tries to make the Dark Dimension envelop Earth, then it'd be fine. But, like, because we're only told of his motivations and we don't see why he is the way he is, he falls into the a stereotype of that traitor stu uh, student. And, again, Caecilius feels like, at one point, he could have been part of Mordo. Not literally, I just mean like their characters uh, felt like the circles were one and the same, you know what I mean? Um, I don't know, Caecilius wasn't an interesting villain at all. He, I didn't feel like swept up by him, and it's, and it's funny because from what I've heard, Mac, Mad, uh, Mads Mikkelsen is a terrific actor, and I've seen some of his stuff, so I know he's a good actor. But with this, he, he, felt, he felt very deadpan, uh, there was no hamming it up, you know, it, he... It's like, he had a chance to 
make a personality out of an otherwise forgettable character. But similar to the character in the comics, Mads doesn't put up much of a performance and otherwise leaves this character in the dust. Um, but the other supporting character uh, I forgot to mention was Benedict Wong as Wong, which is uh, funny for many reasons, <laughs> obviously. Um, so in the comics, Wong is like uh, Doctor Strange's servant, and uh, he's a pretty predominant Asian character. Uh, in this, Benedict Wong, or I keep referring one to the other because of Wong, but in this Wong is, uh, he's like the new librarian after the, the first guy gets his head cut off. Um, but he's alright. He, he has a good, it's like, Wong is funny because he doesn't find anything funny. He's, he's one of those characters. Um, he's, I wouldn't even say he's badass. He, he kind of looks like he'd be badass, but there's never a scene where I'm like, oh, this guy means business. Like, again, there's a skeleton of a character there. Just fill it in. Just give us something more with this with this Wong guy. Um, I think he and Strange play off of each other pretty well. Um, I'm not worried about their chemistry in future movies because obviously they're a pair, and so I'm, I'm happy to see them play off of each other. I kind of hope with Wong that he appears in other Marvel movies on behalf of Doctor Strange. That would be pretty neat. Um, I know in the books, Wong is usually kept around because, you know, because Doctor Strange has broken hands, there are just some things he can't do, like cook or clean or sign checks or anything. So uh, that could be humorous for uh, a following film. But, uh, yeah... Wong is, like every other character, something's there, but there needs to be something more. Tilda Swilton as the Ancient One. I really... This is tough, because I, I like the Ancient One in this film, even though I know it's not the same as the one in the books. And I'm not entirely opposed to liking a character, even if they're vaguely different from the book. Um, in Civil War, they did a different version of Baron Zemo. I loved Baron Zemo in Civil War. Um, other examples, insert here, whatever. But <laughs> I, I really like the Ancient One in this film by Tilda. And it's tough because in the comics, the Ancient One is like this old man who's like really stubborn and, and like he's obviously done some things that wouldn't convince you that he's a good person. Like, he's kind of like the magic equivalent to Nick Fury. But here, this Til this Tilda Swinton version of the Ancient One, she's really charming and fun, and I, I, I really find her to be, like, one of the warmest characters in the MCU. Um, it, it's really interesting to me. I just, I... With, with so many times in these films, you get a mentor character or a sage character who is really, like nice and warm the same way Tilda Swinton as, as the Ancient One is. But, like, I think it just might be how she looks and how she bounces off of Doctor Strange, who obviously is told, you know, we're told that he's arrogant, but, like, because he is kind of arrogant and he is kind of deadpan, it's nice to see this character who's just like, I'm still going to be really nice to you because I know some shit that you don't. And, like, the scenes where she shows what she knows and what she can do is really impressive because she she does all this stuff and she still keeps that open uh like that warm open mentor mentality the other thing about it is that with these sage characters and these movies these unbreakable mentors 
they're given this appear appearance to where they're perfect, and so when they die, it's supposed to be important. Uh, Uncle Ben, perfect example. When have you ever seen Uncle Ben at a point where you don't think he's a good character? You know, this is not the guy you want to meet. Like, there's, there's never that point. With the Ancient One, they show weakness in her. They show that she has doubt, she has weakness, she she can be offended. And uh, I definitely don't think it's a, a gender thing. I don't want to put that out there. But I just, I like that. I like the idea of a mentor who can be challenged that way. Um, I think that some of the things that were lacking in the character, though, uh, like there was a part in the film where we find out the Ancient One is immortal, supposedly. She's really old, apparently. But she's able to keep alive by using magic from the Dark Dimension. So she has a connection to Dormammu in that she stays alive through his dimensional power. And it's supposed to be this big reveal, because obviously they're fighting a bad guy who wants to use Dormammu's power, but the Ancient One says you can't do that because it would, it would destroy yourselves in the process. And it's supposed to be a big reveal, because, oh, the, the person who says you can't do that thing has been doing that thing for centuries now. <laughs> and when we learn of that twist... I wasn't affected by it, really. Like, in my brain, I could process, like, oh, I'm supposed to be surprised and offended by this, and I was supposed to have this new view of the Ancient One and not like her as much, but it didn't It didn't really affect me. It, it just felt like um, it didn't really launch. Um, and, and that's really too bad, because this character definitely needed, like, as much as I like the Ancient One, the character definitely needed uh, a splotch of... Uh, a splotch of, like, unlikability. There had to be something that kept you from liking her completely just because she is the ancient one, and that's a, an element that is followed through the, with, with the character. I wanted to make this a side note, too, because this is something I feel pretty strong about. When Tilda Swinton was announced to be the ancient one, there was a lot of outcry from fans because in the comics, the ancient one is, like, I think he's an old Tibetan man. And so when they announced, like, oh, this British woman is going to be playing the ancient one, people were pissed because they thought it was a form of whitewashing and that it was another Asian role that was kind of pushed aside and made white. Um, <laughs> my opinion is that the old mystic Asian man on a mountain trope has been overdone. It's been overdone the same way the old wise black man has been done. Um, and I've seen the original ancient one in the comics, he's not really that interesting or entertaining, and he, he wouldn't be in the film. Like, I, I seeing the Ancient One in a film, like this version of the Ancient One, appealed to me. Where if I read him in the comics, I'm like, oh, it's just this old this old guy, whatever. He's, he's important and dangerous, but I don't feel any connection to him. He, he's just you know, an old Asian man who's wise and cocky, and obviously he has some, like, secret power that makes him better than other people. We've seen that so many times. You know, in every kung fu movie or her mystical magic movie, there's always, like, an old Asian man with some kind of secret power. We've seen it all the time, and we don't need to see it again in a film uh, in the Marvel Universe, which has so much personality otherwise. Um, and what's interesting about people getting mad that the Ancient One isn't an old Asian man, but now a, a British woman... What's interesting is that in the comics, 
Mordo, our good buddy Carl, is Romanian. And when they cast a black man as Mordo, no one came out and said anything about a Romanian character getting cast over or a white-skinned character getting cast over with a black person. There was never any of that. And, uh, because nobody, nobody cared about Mordo, and nobody cared about the Ancient One. And what's more, you have Wong and several other, uh, Asian characters in the film that people gloss over to look at the Ancient One and complain about it. I think the whole argument is just out of spite, rather than legitimate care. No one gave a shit about Mordo being Romanian, and no one should care about the Ancient One being British. It, it, it's stupid. You know, if you enjoy the character... Everything else doesn't matter. More or less. <laughs> okay, so the, the basic cliff note of the plot. <laughs> uh, Doctor Strange is a neurosurgeon who's arrogant, apparently. Uh, he gets in a car accident because, oddly enough, he was on a phone call while he was driving, which I felt was very uh, on the nose. Well, not on the nose. It was, it was likely. That stuff happens. But um, he gets in a car crash and uh, specifically breaks his hands. He breaks his hands so bad that he actually goes through all of his money trying to repair his hands. And none of these methods are working until eventually he runs out of money and he can't shave or sign bills or anything. Um, he's spiraling out of control. He's cutting off uh, his love-addressed character uh, until eventually he hears of a patient who was able to repair from having broken legs by going to this place in Nepal. They, they change it from Tibet, Tibet to Nepal. I think that's just to sell it to a Chinese audience. Um, but he goes to Nepal, meets the Ancient One. She starts teaching him how to do magic. Um, by the time he has a pretty stable hold on things, uh, he becomes important in the main plot because there's the former student of the Ancient One named Caecilius who's trying to bring the Dark Dimension into our realm. And uh, Doctor Strange, of no accord, like of no real choice in the matter, just gets wrapped up in it, finds that he has a talent with magic that, you know, could solve all this. And uh, by the end of it, by, you know, sticking to his guns and actually understanding that it's not about him, it's about the world at large, he becomes Doctor Strange, the Sorcerer Supreme. That's probably the most cookie-cutter way of explaining the whole film. Um... The plot isn't necessarily original, and I don't mean that just in a comic book way. You know, in quotations, <laughs> there's a student who battles another student and questions the teacher, only to accept their shortcomings and be the ideal pupil. Uh, though it is not often we see this plot in films anymore, um, I found the three types of students in the film to have a refreshingly different opinions of the Ancient One. Like, Mordo is the completely committed student. Uh, Caecilius is the completely estranged student, and Strange is, you know, the only student to really question the Ancient One without leaving her completely. Like, he's the only suspicious person. And I, I think that showing the dichotomy between the three of them did a good job. Um, maybe. <laughs> um, while it's not original, it's different enough from everything else in the Marvel Cinematic Universe that it feels pretty big like it feels grand is what i'm is what i'm trying to get to and i think that it's a really good introduction of magic and the multiverse and and these new characters that we're going to come to know okay so i'm going to i'm going to tell you what 
kind of breaks the movie, and then I'm going to tell you what my favorite part is. Um, so the thing that kind of breaks the movie is the whole thing about Doctor Strange's broken hands. Like I mentioned, he, get into, he gets in a car crash, breaks his hands, he hears about this guy who broke his legs and went to Nepal, learned magic, and now he recovered. Like, when he finds this guy, this guy is playing basketball. So, he's healed. And, uh, so, in the comics, even after becoming the Sorcerer Supreme and being, like, the most powerful magic character on Earth, Doctor Strange's hands are still broken. He can perform magic in the comics, but he can't cook or clean or write checks. He can't do stuff like that. His hands are still broken. Um... And that's kind of the point, because here's the big, like, behind-the-panel thing about Doctor Strange. He goes to uh, Tibet to learn magic because he thinks that's going to heal his hands, when his hands are just a metaphor for him as a person. Like I mentioned, he's arrogant, and he's just not a good person. He thinks everything's about him. So when he breaks his hands, it's more of a universal message of sending him somewhere where he can fix himself. Because when he becomes Doctor Strange, the, the Sorcerer Supreme, he is a better person, but his hands are still broken. But he's not upset by that, because he knows by then that his hands are just physical. He doesn't need his hands to be whole. You know, he's recognized that I became a sorcerer, and I'm the person I am now, because spiritually I am fixed. You know, physically I'm not fixed, but that's not the point. If I held on to the physical... I wouldn't be who I am now, and so I'm totally fine with my hands being broken the way they are because the rest of me, in, in the inside, is fixed. And I really like that message about the character. Uh, this film doesn't really do that. <laughs> uh, what they do instead is that they show this guy who can walk around even though his legs were broken, uh, and he basically tells Strange, like, yeah, I learned how to be at inner peace, and I learned mysticism, and my body physically repaired itself. Like, magic changed my, my body's uh, biology or something. And uh, the Ancient One says something similar to where, like, what if I could tell you you could change how your body works through magic or whatever. Um, and then, like, Doctor Strange stays there because he thinks magic's going to fix his hands, but he, he starts learning everything else about magic aside from, like, fixing his wounds or whatever. There's never a point in the film where he goes, like, so when am I going to fix my hands? <laughs> it's kind of like he drops off that at some point. Like, we know he's there for that, but he doesn't say anything about it. By the end of the film, his hands are still broken, they're still shaking, and I know people, I don't want to say any names, but someone whose opinion I respect a lot saw that as a problem. Um, I think the fact that his hands are broken are supposed to be a metaphor for him. Because, like, they establish that magic can heal your wounds um, in this film universe. And so you would think by the end of the film, he could heal his hands. But I think it's a matter of him holding on to the physical. Like, the reason this guy before could fix his legs is because he probably saw that it's not about his physical body, it's about who he is on the inside. And if Doctor Strange could learn that same lesson, he could probably fix his hands. But by the end of the film, he, he still has broken hands, he still holds on to this watch that his love interest gave him. And so, I think that's supposed to be the takeaway. As long as Doctor Strange holds on to the physical world and things he had before, he will not be physically fixed. Um, and that's the best way I can look at it. Often in, like, media, when you see, like, the stereotypical monk character, they leave behind everything they had before. They leave behind their material life in return for inner peace. And I feel like 
Doctor Strange in concept follows that same thing. Doctor Strange in the film hasn't let go of his material life, and so he cannot be fully healed. And I think that's the point. I think the reason it doesn't work as well is because we don't get a lot of explanation to it. A lot of that is up to interpretation, and I think that in this kind of film that is so heavy on Doctor Strange's hands, uh, you kind of need someone to say that out loud. You need Wong or someone to say, your hands won't be fixed until you let go of everything before. Okay, so my favorite thing about the film, my favorite part or whatever, um, it's at the end where Doctor Strange has this final confrontation with Dormammu. And like I said, in the Dark Dimension there is no time. And so when Doctor Strange remembers that and he figures it out, he comes to this idea where if he goes into the Dark Dimension, he can use the Eye of Akamato, which again is the time gem, it affects time, to bring time into the Dark Dimension and kind of torment Dormammu with it. Because Dormammu doesn't know what time is, because he never left that dimension. And, like, what he does is, Doctor Strange uses the time gem to repeat a single moment. And it's a moment when he goes to Dormammu offering a bargain, and Dormammu just straight up kills him, because he's immortal, and Dormammu is a god. And Dormammu seemingly... Well, Dormammu actually kills Doctor Strange, which is supposed to be a oh-my-gosh moment, but then you see that moment repeated, and eventually Dormammu, Dormammu starts catching on, and Doctor Strange says to him, because there's no time here, I don't have to worry about messing up a time stream, so what I've done is encapsulated this moment. So you and I will be taught, will having this conversation over and over again. You will kill me, but I will come back, and you will kill me again. And if you keep doing that forever, you'll never get to Earth. And Dormammu is like, if I kill you over and over again, you're going to feel it. And Doctor Strange is like, I know that, but it's okay. Like, I, I can take the punishment. I I will die forever if it means protecting the Earth. That That's not a problem with me. And so Tormammu just keeps killing him in the worst ways. He, like, beams him to death, throws spikes through him, like, cuts him off with, like, uh, tentacles that come out of nowhere. Like, he kills him over and over again. <laughs> and eventually Dormammu is just like, this is getting ridiculous, like, he, he gets bored by it, he gets upset, maybe he just runs out of ways to kill Doctor Strange, it's also, like, one of those things of, like, we don't know if this happened a couple times, or, like, an entire eternity of times, because it's, it's time travel, well, not time travel, but it's, it's time control, so this moment where he kills Doctor Strange could be happening a thousand times over, and we wouldn't know, so Dormammu gets so sick of this, he's like, all right, fine, I'll let you go, like, what do you want from me, and Doctor Strange just tells him, like, look, don't mess with Earth, or I'll come back and I'll do this again. And he wins. Doctor Strange comes back to Earth, and Dormammu goes back into his dimension, and that's it. And I really like that ending. Because with so many superhero movies, there's always, like, this big bad guy who's clearly stronger than the hero, but the final confrontation is somehow the hero pulls through, or they have some people to help them, or, you know, by the end of the movie, the hero's stronger than he was at the beginning. You know, in every film, it's always this, this character overpowers the villain. This film is different. They actually outsmart the villain. You know, it would have been so easy to have Doctor Strange just, like, fight this god and, like, win for no reason. Um, but they actually scale it. They actually consider the fact that Dormammu is a god. More than a god than, like, Thor. Because Dormammu actually controls an entire realm of his own. And, like, Strange can't beat Dormammu. He can't even make a dent in Dormammu. But what he can do 
is outthink Dormammu and use his own human intuition, his own knowledge of how the actual world works against Dormammu. And it shows that like no matter how powerful you are, you can't really beat the unknown. And I really enjoy that with a hero doing it instead of a villain. Um, so I just really appreciate that ending. It's really one of my favorite parts of the film because it, it, it does something new with the hero-villain concept. So imagine watching all the good parts of Inception through a kaleidoscope. And that's kind of a fix of what the effects are in this film. The effects in Doctor Strange are unlike anything else I've really seen in, the, in a movie. I think it's a real pinnacle of what films can do with their effects now. Uh, the effects were done by Luma Pictures and Industrial Light and Magic. Uh, I've heard about the uh, Industrial Light of Magic in, in movies, but it was amazing watching this movie. Like the the way the characters folded the earth and made like these. It's kind of like a deck of cards thing. Like if you lay out uh, a hand of cards and they flap over each other like that, it's like that but applied to the world. It's, it's crazy. You have to. If you've seen trailers, that's what I'm talking about. Like it looks that good throughout the movie. There's other effect work. There's there's like in the beginning maybe like at the end of the first half, the Ancient One basically sends Doctor Strange on a drug chip and shows him all these multiple dimensions. And it's freaky, and it's cool. Like there's a part where Doctor Strange is in a dimension full of just, like, hands growing out of nowhere, and he looks at his own hand, and on the tip of his fingers, fingers start growing, and those fingers grow into other hands. And then the hands envelop Doctor Strange, but you pull out, and the hands make the shape of his face, and that's a transition into another thing. And it's amazing to watch. It's really cool. Um, I didn't see it in IMAX or 3D, but if I see the movie again, I definitely want to. It was really cool uh, to see it, and I, I really wanted to see it again in that effect. Um, the magic was pretty cool. I, I think the magic had the uh, good details on them. It could have been super easy to, like, like phony the magic, but it looks really good. Um... The hand motions were good, too. I know Benedict actually studied Doctor Strange comics to make sure he got the character and the movements right, and I, I can see that in his version of the character. Um, admittedly, there was a bit more use of the world shifting than any other magic, and I think it's because they wanted to use that effect a lot and have scenes of like characters running on uh, ceilings and stuff. Like That's cool. I can only imagine like being there for those scenes and seeing these sets, like, shift into different, uh, different directions and, and everything, like, rotate and all that, um, that's really cool, but they use it a lot, um, even, like, the actual, like, fighting magic, there's a lot of, like, shields and blade creation, what I mean is the magic is, like, a lot of conjuring, but no, like, lightning or fireballs or, like, typical magic stuff like that, like, it, when you're thinking of magic, there's a lot you can do with that, and I feel that, much like the characters, they had something there for magic, but they didn't go with the whole nine yards. Um, but for what they did have with magic, I was impressed. I liked it. Uh, I'm looking forward to see if maybe more creative writers and directors could maybe expand on magic and show all the other abilities it has. Because they show, like, weapon conjuring, teleportation, like, just some of that stuff. And it, it looks good. I know when uh, Doctor Strange conjures the Crimson Bands of Ciderac. They don't call them that, but that's what they are in the books. Um, it looks good, and I, I like the, the effects for that. So, they're good. The effects are... like The magic effects are okay. 
the other effects in the world are, are really amazing. You have to see them. So the impact of the film, you're looking at this universe that already has superheroes, gods, aliens, uh, micro-universes, and whatever you want to call Ghost Rider. I guess he's a demonic entity. But now you're not even see you're not just seeing the introduction of magic into the MCU. You're seeing the multiverse and the fact that there are endless dimensions. Now that you have the multiverse, there's no limit to what Marvel can do, because they've established an ever expanding collection of worlds. Um, the multiverse theory is like it's it's something that is so used in science fiction that most people know what it is. Basically, the idea is for every possible outcome for the world. I guess for every possible outcome in reality, there is a separate reality. So, uh, imagine it as, we live in a world where I titled this Raffi Reviews, but there's an entire other reality out there where maybe it's Revi Reviewer Raffi, or something stupid like that, but like, there are other realities where other things happen, and, and, and it's like, when people think of the multiverse, it's usually like, oh, what if like, Hitler won World War Two, like big stuff like that, or what if uh, the, the Titanic didn't crash or something? Like it's usually like big important stuff like that, but it can be something as minor as like, what if this person was born with green eyes instead of blue eyes, and everything else could be the same? And I, I like I, I really like that idea about the multiverse. But um, in one film, we've established the multiverse, and that's really impressive um, to just do that and have it out there and. Now Marvel can use that to whatever effect they want, but I'm interested to see how they do that, because usually multiverse stuff is with the Fantastic Four in the books, so they can't really do that for the movies, so they might pass it off to Doctor Strange, but otherwise I'm happy that people know that there is a multiverse, and and it's like, with magic, usually it's random, it comes out of nowhere, or it's connected to some like spiritual or earthly thing. Like To say that magic comes from this thing called the multiverse itself... I think it gives you a pretty safe indicator of where it's all coming from, and it gives you a clear power source, because the multiverse can't really be destroyed unless you're in DC Comics. <laughs> um, I also think it's cool that we've established one character who's equally important as the Avengers. Like, they mentioned in the film that the Avengers protect the world from physical threats like aliens and stuff, uh, or giant robots, <laughs> but the Sorcerer Supreme protects the entire earth from magical threats so it's kind of like what we face in the avengers movies is the stuff that gets through and the stuff that we aren't seeing are these huge magical threats these huge gods and otherworldly beings that live on an entirely different scale than the villains we've seen so far so i'm really excited to see you know if the next doctor strange movie which there will be i i say for sure Marvel milks what Marvel makes. Quote me on that. Uh, I'm really excited to see if the future Doctor Strange movies um, really delve into the fact that there are magical threats. We don't see them because one guy keeps them at bay. That's really epic to, uh, to really think about. So I think the, the overall thing here is that, as a film, Doctor Strange is not a film that, that really focuses on characters or the directions of them. It, stuff is there, but it's not enough to paint a picture. But it's a film that really focuses on what magic means in this universe, and all the stuff about magic and spiritualism and multiverse, and like the lore of this film, it packs so much. And I know that Doctor Strange fans are 
probably sad because they didn't mention the Vashanti or, um, <laughs> see, that's what I mean. I'm not very, or the Holy Ghosts of Hogarth. Like, there, there's Doctor Strange-isms I'm not super familiar with, but I know people are. I think there's definitely room for that in this film leaves that room open, but it also, it, it brings lore. It introduces a lot, and I think that as an introduction into this side, this chapter in the Marvel Universe, it's good, you know? It, it doesn't feel like another movie or another origin movie. It feels like just us finding another corner of this universe. Um, and so I, I think it works that way. But the characters on the surface were enjoyable. Uh, the plot wasn't super gripping. The effects were amazing, and the villain was really kind of weak. Uh, but overall, I did really like Doctor Strange. Uh, my final score is going to be a B plus. I, I like Doctor Strange a lot. It's lacking on stuff. Okay, we're almost done with characters, I swear. We, we got one more guy. Uh, Dormammu, who, funny enough, is actually voiced by Benedict Cumberbatch with like some voice effects, which is pretty cool. So, like I said, Dormammu is the ruler of the Dark Dimension, which is this evil dimension where there's no such thing as time. And when you see Dormammu, he's supposed to be a dimensional god. He's like a giant head, but like in a scary way, not in a, not a, Mo a Modoc way. But uh, I didn't mind his design. He was kind of just like a shadowy, layered head. Um, in the comics, Dormammu's like main body is like this fiery-headed guy. Maybe you saw him in like Marvel vs. Capcom. But I don't mind that we don't get the fiery-headed Dormammu, because I feel like too close to Ghost Rider, people might uh, confuse the two of them or relate them in some way. Um, and we're obviously going to see him in other movies, so we're probably going to see his actual body in other movies. Like When it comes to god characters, most of the time they have different forms, so I think that it's not really a loss that he isn't that firehead. Like, I just don't want anyone complaining, like, oh, he doesn't look how he looks in the book. I don't want that. <laughs> you In this Doctor Strange movie... Every other character looks pretty close to what they are in the book, so I don't want to, you know, start complaining now. Um, but I'm excited that, like, <laughs> we'll, we'll get to his scene later, because I, I really do want to talk about his big scene at the end. Yeah, it was lacking on villains. It was lacking a bit on characters in general. Uh, the effects were really the thing that got me. And uh, overall, I, I give it a B plus. That's that, That's a solid score for this kind of movie. So, there it is. <laughs> I, I definitely suggest going and seeing it. I'm probably going to see it a second time. Uh, go check out Doctor Strange. It's, it's still in theaters. If you're a Marvel fan, you're going to love it. If you're a fan of magic, you're going to love it. If, if you want to see just how far movie effects have come, go see this movie. Uh, maybe not in 3D if you have like stomach problems. But uh, thank you guys for listening. I hope you enjoyed the review, and uh, have a great one. Hope you enjoyed today's episode. Go to panelbuyer.blogspot.com to follow all the latest posts. Check out the panel buyer on panelbuyer.podbean.com to follow all of our podcast shows. And uh, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Tumblr. The panel buyer is also on YouTube and we're on iTunes, so you can follow us there. Uh, be sure to follow up, and uh, thank you all for listening. Have a good one.